lot of people think they know the Netherlands and Dutch culture, but really what we know is a lot of cliches, you know, wooden shoes and tulips and that sort of thing. And yeah, wooden shoes and tulips are part of the Netherlands, but there's so much more. We're joined by Elizabeth Van Hest and Hans de Kiefte, two Dutch friends and tour guides, and we're going to talk about Dutch culture and weaving Dutch culture into our sightseeing. Elizabeth and Hans, thanks for joining us. Thank you for being here. Now, uh, really, I've traveled all over Europe, and the Dutch people have a unique character. What is it, and why? Well, as far as I can speak for myself, I think I was taught by my parents to look abroad, to look at other people. Um, I was taught, for instance, that my education wasn't completed until I had spent one year in another country and learned other languages. And that's nothing new. The Dutch have been sort of a springboard for European exploration yes. for centuries. Well, you see, yes, you see it in the past. Go to Australia, yeah. go to Sri Lanka. They were everywhere. That's right. And, uh, a little tiny country having yeah. quite an impact on the globe. Yes. So good advice from your parents, and that sounds pretty typically for the Dutch character. Yes. Be broad-minded. Hans? Well, basically, we're a very small country, and we live in between Germany, France, and uh, England. So we're very small, and those people don't are not going to learn Dutch. So we'll have to learn it. So and you've got to have the languages. Yes, and if you drive uh, two hours to the east, you're in Germany. And if you drive two hours to the south, you're in the French-speaking part of Belgium or France. And so, if you sailed two hours to the west, yeah, then you you'll drown. be speaking my language. <laughs> yes. <laughs> then you drown. So you have to learn your languages. You have to learn your languages. I think the Dutch probably know more languages per capita than most people. Well, it is changing, I think. Mm-hmm. Many people in other countries are learning other languages. But, but a long time ago, are, this was yes. nothing new in the Netherlands. Yes, the Netherlands. I think so, yeah. In fact, now I noticed when you go to Schiphol Airport, Amsterdam's mm-hmm. airport, mm-hmm. most of the signs are actually in English. You don't even need the Dutch language. Oh, yeah, or with symbols. By the way, it's Schiphol Airport, uh, but that's unpronounceable. You know. Schiphol. This is a I mean, funny. This Dutch language is uh, one of the most um, awkward, yes. challenging yeah. languages. Barbarian. <laughs> I, I introduced you, Elizabeth, as Elizabeth. That's your um, English name, I suppose. It's one of my names, but in the Netherlands, as we are a small country, you have many names. You see, <laughs> so I have several names, and my ordinary name in in the Netherlands is Guusje. It's um, diminutive of Augusta. Ah. And uh, unfortunately for me, as a child, Guus is also a boy's name, so you can imagine oh, what so it is to a, be yeah. a girl and have a so boy's like name. So like a boy named Sue and but a girl named Huchte. Huchte. <laughs> Sorry, see, I It's a bit like Gus, you see? Like you Gus, a, okay. Yeah. One more time. Huchte. Huchte. And je, because everything is small. Oh, small. How you know Little. a cop is a kopje. Really? So we you, always make everything small. So you don't just say, uh, give me a cup. You say, give me one of those cute little, little tiny cups. Yeah. Well, that's the gezellig culture. Gezellig. Now, gezellig, what does gezellig. that mean? Gezellig. You cannot translate it. But it is this... But it is cozy. 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 Yeah. Hans, when you think of Dutch culture and cozy, what what does that mean? Well, it's it's warm, I would say. Warm. Warm. What is the word again? Uh, gezellig. And that's uh, characteristic. You go to a small town and you stay in a little uh, bed and breakfast and you will have a a cozy experience, Mm -hmm. a Dutch experience. Well, the winters help, you know. Mm -hmm. It's dark outside, the lights are inside, the fire is on, and you're together, you know, having a good time. And then we call it gezellig. Hans, how do you see the Dutch character? There's a stereotype of Dutch character and then you're a Dutchman. What is the Dutch character? Well, I like to distinguish a little bit. We have Holland and the Netherlands. Okay. Holland is the western part of the Netherlands. 
And this is the part where the ships left from in the old days where the trade was going on. And this is a very open-minded, open-spirited, live-and-let-live society. But in the east of the country, the feudal system uh, existed much longer, was close to Germany, and there's a different mentality there. So usually when people think about the Netherlands, they think about Holland. People. Holland, and that's the tolerant, live-and-let-live spirit. Yeah, very open. Rough-and-tumble and sailors and very commercial. Commercial too, yes. So good traders, good businessmen. Mm. Anybody is a potential customer, so you don't want to condemn them for mm. their lifestyle if you can live together in mm. tolerance. Yeah, typically in Holland, uh, there are good schools which teach businessmen how to act or how to behave in other countries. So when you meet a Dutchman in Saudi Arabia, he's already prepared how to get along with people there, how to do So do that's part of Dutch business training, is oh, how yes. to get along with other people. Of course, yeah. And you've got centuries of uh, practice with this. They even tell you how to get along with Americans. Is that right? Mm, yeah. Of course. What's, what's the challenge there? Oh, well, <laughs> this is a tricky question. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, what's the challenge? for If I'm an American well, business, challenge, what do you have to be careful of? I have to tell you this first. Uh, I think the Dutch culture, maybe in Europe, is the closest to the American culture. We're known to be blunt and open and direct, and uh, in America that doesn't cause many problems. So. Ah, yeah, because you are more straightforward and frank, almost without tact. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> Not you. I'm talking about Dutch people in general. Okay, well, thank you very much. <laughs> but is that a characteristic of yes. the Dutch people, Elizabeth? Yes, and uh, I would say uh, simple. I mean, simple in the way, easygoing. Is no problem. Compared to, to other countries. Other countries. Uh, further you go to the south, more complicated the people get right. in a certain way. Because if you know them, you know it's it's also a way of acting. But the, to give you an example, you see, it's also very common just to jump in and have a tea together or a beer and then you go away. It's not with an invitation. Okay, so that's a more of an informality that yes. Americans are comfortable with. Yes. So maybe the Dutch, as, as Hans said, the Dutch and the Americans are closer in that oh, regard than so. perhaps the Germans or the French. Oh, yes, I think so. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking about Dutch culture with Elizabeth Van Hest and Hans de Kiefta. Your country is famous for being well-organized. It must be the most densely populated part of Europe, and in some ways it feels like you almost live in a jukebox. Mm-hmm. Well, we live in a jukebox. We call them dikes. That's right. You live in dikes. There you go. You live, uh, and we have to be organized. I mean, if you, let's say I'm, I'm living in Spain in the winter, you can make a mistake there. If, it's, if, you, if your roof leaks or whatever, you will survive the winter. Now in Holland, if your dike is not built properly, you die, you drown, certainly in winter. So the stakes are high. You better be organized. You better be good. No room for error uh, What the dikes concerns. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. You can email us at radio at ricksteves.com. And Rick's on the line in Kent, Washington. Rick, thanks for the call. Well, thank you very much, Rick, and goedemiddag. 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 Hey, Rick speaks pretty good Dutch there. It's impressive. impressive. Nee, nee. Nee, nee. (laughs) Ja, ja. (laughs) Rick, what did the Dutch people think when you traveled around their country speaking their language? Uh, They're astounded uh, that Americans can even attempt Dutch. And uh, they're also astounded when uh, we disclose we're staying longer than one week if that happens to be the case. I don't know too many Americans that spend more than a week in the Netherlands. That's a good way to gain the respect and the appreciation of the locals, I would think. Uh, I I would think so, too, and it amplifies uh, a point that you've made before, Rick, that uh, Americans get shortchanged for vacations. We have the shortest vacations of anyone in in the industrialized world, it seems. It's a horrible thing, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, very much so. So, Rick, how did you spend so much time in the Netherlands? What were highlights for you, and how did you travel? 
Well, um, my dad was a uh, first officer for Pan American, so we used to uh, travel quite a lot, my family. Okay. And when I was in school, I studied the golden age of Dutch history, the 17th century mainly, and uh, it enhanced my appreciation of the Netherlands when I visited as a college student in 1981. And now, as a consenting adult and a social democrat, I revere the Netherlands as quite possibly the most liberal nation on the planet, and therefore I regard speaking Dutch as the language of freedom in a way. Whoa, that's quite a strong mm -hmm. statement. I think it's borne out by the, um, the way the politics have gone over the last few decades. Why do you think the Dutch are so, so progressive or liberal? Um, because uh, they've had to be so resourceful, uh, and I think the key to that is the spirit of cooperation and tolerance that they've cultivated. As, as I believe I heard earlier in the broadcast, everyone in Holland ha had to pitch in to keep the land from flooding, and people cared less about what others thought so much as what others in fact did. And then uh, Dutch philosophers uh, such as Erasmus began extolling the virtues of the whole country staying warm and dry and fed and cooperative and tolerant. And you add all these up and you've got the state of mind that um, I know you guys have been discussing as uh, Gesellekeit. Mm -hmm. There is a state of mind and it's, it's interesting how it does go back to, I think, the density of the population, the fact that there is a big variety of people. It was a haven for people uh, fleeing religious persecution for a long time. Mm -hmm. You needed a lot of manpower to fill those ships and power that trade. And then, of course, you got to be on the ball to keep the sea at bay. Mm -hmm. Very much so. Ironically, it was a stereotype that first drew me to appreciate Dutch culture that comes out of the physical facts of the Netherlands. My late mother owned a Delftware vase with a picture of a windmill on it. Mm -hmm. And growing up in California, our grocery stores, which carried Van de Kamp's Dutch bakery items like... Um, windmill-shaped ginger cookies, usually advertised uh, this fact by sporting a blue neon windmill on the outside of the stores. So huh. as a child, I learned to appreciate pretty vases and, and yummy cookies with the mysterious windmill people. Mm -hmm. uh, the windmill people. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and later on in school, uh, I learned that the stereotypical windmills and the wooden shoes and the tulips all had to do with living in river deltas and windswept marshes and reclaimed land from the sea. And so these stereotypes reflect the resourcefulness of the Dutch over the centuries. And then to top it all off, I learned that the Dutch had virtually invented the cookie. And, that's <laughs> so and you get a cookie you with your... culture like that? You know what I love about the Netherlands? When you order a cup of coffee, you get a beautiful little cookie. Mm -hmm. It's oh, not a yes. cookie. It's a speculatie of a biscuitje. What, say that again? Biscuitje. A biscuit. That's a biscuit. A biscuit. Or a speculatie. It's such a delightful tradition. Or a koekje. Uh, I was wondering if the expatriate Afrikaner community in the Netherlands uh, is politically active. And if so, uh, do they tend toward the right or the left or, or both? Well, I happen to know somebody who uh, moved in from South Africa, but I don't think they're very active. They're assimilating very quickly and... Uh, 
they become part of the Dutch society before you know it. So, so these are Dutch people who went down to South Africa, yeah, and then those who didn't like what happened politically moved back to the yeah, old country. Uh, I have friends myself who moved to South Africa, and they came back about 20 years ago. And when they come back, are they just happy to be home then? Well, they have to adjust, you know, the climate yeah. and the, the lifestyle, etc., but I mean, they but they're not going to shake a lot of. Uh, no, I have another friend. He has a. He's born in Netherlands, but when he was born, he moved to South Africa. Mm-hmm. He married there to an African, uh, South African lady, and they came back. And well, I mean, they speak fluent Dutch in a week. Really? So they really assimilate. Yeah. 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 All right, Rick. Thanks for your call. Thank you very much for taking it. You bet. Happy travels. And uh, tot ziens. Tot ziens. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking about Dutch culture with two Dutch friends of mine, Hans de Kiefta and Elizabeth van Hest. When you think that the Netherlands are so small and so densely populated and most of the land is reclaimed from the sea, there really is a love of the land, an appreciation of the land that is almost inspirational when you travel around the Netherlands. Yes, it's in the history. When you think, I was born below the level of the sea, when you tell that to other people, they get scared. That's why my parents taught me very quickly to swim. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's always in, in the whole history of, of the Netherlands, a very important point, this care for land. And you know now, while the uh, water gets higher and higher, the level, some people had already to leave their land because they have to flood it. Is that right? Yes. So the climate change and the yes. rising sea level is yes. actually having an impact built, on life in Holland. Yes, they built special houses uh, on the water so that when the water raises, the house comes with it, like on a boat. Yes, but this is on the river side. Mm. Uh, for the sea, um, the Dutch have measured the level of the sea for right. centuries already. Right. And it is rising, but at a very moderate rate, and there's not an acceleration yet. Okay. The Delta Plan, which is a plan not only for the south, which is known for the big dikes, but encompasses all of the Netherlands, is finished in the beginning of last year. And they have a new uh, plan now, a new committee out, and they're going to review the whole plan again to make it ready for the future. And they're first going to address the weaker points, uh, weaker in brackets, and uh, this might take another 30 so, years. tell me, you've got, of course, the dikes that hold out the sea, mm-hmm. but a good part of the Netherlands is the delta of the what the Rhine River as yeah, it comes we into... We've got the Rhine River, the Maas River. I mean, this is a lot of water coming in. And this is a huge delta area, and that has to be cared for also. Also, yes. So it, it's a threat from two sides. What are the challenges there about the delta? Well, first, the river, um, they broadened the riverbeds. I mean, the riverbeds were getting too small and the dikes too high, and, uh, you know, the weather changes we had lately are also in Europe. And so they broadened the river and made parts which they could flood. Floods are used in a way to avoid serious problems. Um, they give the river more room. So, so if you it can rises, intentionally let it overflow. And then the other measure is that uh, there are some polders where they bought out uh, farmers. Polders the, meaning land reclaimed from the sea, below sea level farmland. Mm, polder is in general an area between dikes mm-hmm. which has to be pumped dry when it rains. It can be reclaimed from the sea or okay. from the river. Okay. Now, upstream, so near Germany, they have a few big polders. They've bought out the farmers. They put them on higher ground. And when needed, they flood that polder. Wow. So in an in advanced move, anticipating mm-hmm. challenges, yeah. the Dutch government has bought out farmers in lowlands mm-hmm. so they can flood that land yeah. when necessary. Yeah. And they will compensate the farmers. The cows can be get out in time. <laughs> yeah. uh, but if the grain is flooded or whatever, they will be compensated. And it's no. much cheaper than flooding Rotterdam, for instance. 
Oh, yeah. Something's got to give somewhere. Yeah, and yeah, Dutch yeah. are pragmatic. Dutch are so well yeah. organized. You've got it figured out. Generally, in the Netherlands, Hans, what's the take on, on climate change? If you believe in it or don't believe in it, you better be prepared. So, so the Dutch are just not going to gamble. Like I said, the sea level is rising. That's measured already. And how quick or how fast it goes, we don't know. So we better start preparing for if it rises. Because if we start building dikes, this takes years to, to raise dikes. Yeah. You cannot do it just in a year. So you have to think ahead and you have to prepare yourself How ahead. do you pay for that? We pay in taxes. It's not that much. Uh, I, me and my wife, we pay about 140 euro a year. This includes keeping our, is to keep the water clean okay. behind the dikes and to raise the dikes. So, so all the Dutch pay about $200 a year for this uh, uh, utility. For, yeah, about 110 per person max. And right. that's very cheap. But how can it be this cheap? We don't do it in one year. Slowly, slowly we prepare and we build for the future. We don't repair a disaster, which is very expensive. I mean, we right. see Louisiana here. Yeah. When the Dutch people looked at Katrina in New Orleans, mm. what did you think? Well, I bet I know. There was thought. a Dutch committee there a few years before that, and they warned, and they told them exactly where the water would come from. But by the Wait way, a minute. There was a Dutch committee that went to New Orleans and said exactly where yeah, the a few the years would before be it happened. Yes. And what was the response to the people in Louisiana? Well, it's just too expensive to fix it. But even too now, too expensive to fix it. Even now, it's too expensive to fix it. Um, another committee went after disaster and they proposed um, certain measures, and um, they thought it was too expensive. They wanted to build something which would protect New Orleans for at least thousand years. Well, they couldn't do that. They said five hundred years. And the Army Corps came with plans which were much, much lower. Now you have to think in the Netherlands, the cows are protected for an event 1,200 years. And the cities are protected for an event which could occur once in 10,000 years. What can the world learn from the Dutch experience? Well, you have to be careful uh, with what you do with nature. Uh, we, we have an oil reserves and gas reserves which were formed in millions and millions of years. And we're burning it in just a few decades. And this is always risky because you, you take steps which are completely against nature. So it's dangerous to try to control nature. And if you do, you should do it Yeah, we have carefully. to live with nature. Yeah. But you guys, speaking uh, in this sustainable way, you're the best business people on the planet. The odd thing is that the Dutch spend a lot of money to keep their feet dry. But on the other side, we, we are, I mean, we're working all over the world, making dikes and helping others to do the same. So we also make money out of it. Dutch engineers have helped keep much of the world dry. Yes. Elizabeth, when you're thinking about the Netherlands, people always think about flowers. How are flowers a part of your life in the Netherlands? Oh, I was born in the middle of the tulip fields. Mm. So even now, I cannot live without flowers in my house. It's a beautiful thing. When I go to a little town in Holland, I just I always see people with bicycles and there's flowers yes. in the basket in the front yes. of their bike. They're just every day they'll go home with some new flowers. Oh, not every day. Not maybe, every day. But no, on but the market, you, you see, go you to the go market. to the market, you buy your cheese and other things, and you buy also uh, a bunch of flowers. I once went to the market and bought some flowers and put it in my cheap little hotel room. Yeah. It made a wonderful difference. Change, yes. Yeah, very nice. Hans, we're talking about the Netherlands, Polderland, and all this struggle with the sea. It's a land with canals. Canals are part of the culture. Give us a memory from your childhood with the canals of Holland. Well, I used to swim in canal. Used to swim. Don't do that anymore, by the way. But um, I'm born in Rotterdam, raised in Rotterdam, and uh, lived in a new settlement or suburb, you could say. And I walked straight out of my suburb in five minutes, and I was in the countryside. And the kids would get together and swim in the canal? Yes, and we would jump them. 
jump them. Yes. I have an image of, of kids with sticks vaulting over canals. Does that ever happen? Mm, that happens more in the north, in Friesland. In the north? Yeah. But we try to jump them. Sometimes you miss. And that's, that's, <laughs> Go home all wet. a lot of fun. You come home muddy. What about skating? Yes. Did you ever skate in the canals? Oh, yeah, skating. That's the nicest thing to do on earth, maybe. Really? Well, that's quite a really, statement. Really, yes. So what's so beautiful about skating on the canals? I'll tell you. Take me there. The canals freeze. Farmers check the thickness of the ice and give a certain loop free. The loop might be five kilometers up to 210 kilometers. So when you skate, you skate through the countryside, away from all the cars. Ideal is the sun in your front and the wind in your back. You approach a town and you enter under a bridge. And then that's where you might hear the first car. You step out of the canal. There's a mat which leads to a cafe. There you have a pea soup, Dutch pea soup, Etten soup and in Geneva to warm you up. And people from all jobs come there, from all ways of life, and doctors, lawyers, farmers, you name it. And everybody seems to be equal at that moment. And if you go skating, somebody's in trouble, they help you. And I think it beats skiing, personally. You have to move on your own strength. You don't just go down a mountain. And So you've got the sun on your face. You've got the wind at your back. Yes. You've got the dreams of stepping into a beautiful little gazellig pub you where go, you'll have your pea soup yeah. and your fire water. And you're approaching with about 30 kilometers an hour. Whoa. And is there is there a rhythm as you skate? The rhythm is beautiful. You have to learn it. It takes a few years to get it properly, but it feels so perfect. And when I skated, like twice a week, I was never cold in winter because you have this movement outside. You mean you never felt cold? or I you never, never felt cold. Yeah, I didn't get a call. Now, that's a, that's a beautiful about. warmth, and that's something that uh, not many people have enjoyed. And huh? you mostly skate nearly barefoot in your skates. In and other words, you don't get cold. You don't get cold. No. And then you step in and you get very warm with your Dutch pea soup. Yes. Hans de Kiefte, Elizabeth Van Hest, thanks a lot for sharing an insight into your beautiful culture. Thank you. Thank, thank you for having us. Thank you very Rick's weekly one-hour radio program, Travel with Rick Steves, airs in more than 130 cities across the country. Help yourself to free podcasts of past shows and Rick's audio tours of Europe's greatest sites in the radio section of our website. For the latest on Rick's radio and TV work, his guidebooks and his European tours with small groups, visit ricksteves.com.